the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. Incredible restraint here that Jesus exercises not to return insult for insult. And then, because this one thief here on one side of him makes his profession, isn't this beautiful here? Jesus promises him, I tell you the truth today, you will be with me in paradise. Sometimes I think we overcomplicate the gospel. This is a beautiful promise that this guy will be with him because of his simple childlike faith. Are we overcomplicating the gospel? Today, Pastor Gary will share the incredible salvation of the man hanging on a cross next to Jesus. He didn't live a good life. He was being executed for his crimes, after all. Yet, with just a few simple words, he professed faith in Christ. And Jesus said yes. And that's it. That's all the gospel is. Do you want your sins forgiven? Do you believe Jesus can forgive them? then you can be a child of God. You can have grace for all you've done forevermore. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 23 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. I will have him punished and then release him. Now, before we read the next section, he's going to cave. Pilate is going to cave to the cry of the crowd. But I'll tell you the reason why he's so resistant here. You read a little bit about Pilate in terms of history. Pilate is a very bloodthirsty man. He was ruthless. He, He was quick to kill. He believed in every kind of punishment, every kind of torment. This guy was looking for any opportunity to have somebody killed. And he got a terrible reputation because of it. I mean, as ruthless as the Romans could be, historically speaking, Pontius Pilate made them all pale in comparison. This guy was just bloodthirsty and ruthless. And as a result, he got called on the carpet by Rome. History tells us that he was on probation at this time. That Caesar had said to Pontius Pilate, you know, we like the idea that you, you know, like to put down rebellions and you like to execute prisoners and all this kind of stuff, but you're, you're kind of overboard. You know, you're really going crazy on us and you're on probation. And if you, if you continue down this path, you will be recalled to Rome. So see, Pontius Pilate is trying to avoid this because he doesn't want to be recalled. He's on probation, history tells us. And so as a result, however, of the cries of the people, it tells us in verse 23, but with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. 
He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, that's Barabbas, the one they'd asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Very tragic here. Now, Barabbas, uh, he is guilty of insurrection and murder, but there was this tradition of Passover where the Roman government, trying to ingratiate themselves with the Jews, would release a Jewish prisoner, trying to make him happy. So the Jews are calling on kind of this this little favor. Why don't you release a prisoner? This is what you do at Passover. You take Jesus in, in his place. The irony here is Barabbas, the name of this guy, in Hebrew translates son of the father. Bar as a prefix means son of. Abbas is from Abba, meaning father. His name translates son of the father. In the irony of this moment, Pilate hands over the son of the father, Barabbas, to have the true son of the father crucified. And Eusebius, who's a 4th century Roman historian, Eusebius writes that Pontius Pilate will be recalled to Rome. He will fail his probation because of this. And Eusebius says that Pontius Pilate, under tremendous guilt, will commit suicide. So very tragic here. A man who gave in to the cries of the people. Look, folks, stand firm for what you believe. Of course, we can look at this in a bigger bird's eye view and say, well, this was God's providential plan that Jesus should be crucified, that he should die. And so Pontius Pilate was part of this whole thing. And, but um, the lesson for us in a very practical way, don't cave to the voices of the many people. You, as far as you know, being Christians is concerned, make sure you're following the voice of the Lord and not the clamor of a bunch of people around you. In Mark 15, 15, it says, wanting to satisfy the crowd. Listen to that. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now, Luke skips that part about his flogging, goes right into the crucifixion. But what would typically happen then was someone on the way to the cross, on the way to crucifixion. The Romans didn't invent crucifixion. The Persians did. The Romans perfected it, though, if you can use that word over such a gruesome painful execution, a method of execution. But one of the first things that the Romans would do was that they would flog someone and they would use something that looked like this. In, in Latin, it was called the uh, flagellum. And it was, it's also known as the cat of nine tails, where you had, you had strips of leather attached to a single handle, but then w- embedded within the strips of leather were pieces of glass and metal and pieces of bone. And in fact, in excavations, they've discovered these are some of the ancient Roman pieces of metal that would be attached to the ends of these whips. And, and so as they would whip someone, you can imagine the metal and the bone and um, the glass would shred someone's flesh. And most criminals died being beaten before they even got to the cross. Most died from the scourging and the whipping because of the blood loss and just how they would go into shock. Their body would shut down. They'd go into shock. And most criminals would die before they even got to to be crucified. So, So you have to imagine the excruciating flogging and the agony of what Jesus endured even before he gets to the cross. Now it says here, back in the story, verse 26, that as they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene. Cyrene is modern Libya. Um, you know, Libya's in the news these days. Uh, this guy, Simon, from Libya. Uh, so the Romans seized him. He was on his way in from the country, 
and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Now, typically, a, the cross, the total weight of the cross, cross beam and the upright, was about 300 pounds. But prisoners, criminals were, were supposed to carry just the cross beam, which weighed anywhere from 75 to 125 pounds. You have to imagine, after you've just gone through this horrible beating and scourging and whipping, and now they're going to place upon your back 75 to 125 pound cross beam for you to carry. And it was fanfare through the streets because the Romans wanted this as a deterrent to crime. See how this guy is? See how he looks? See him carrying his cross? This is what could happen to you if you try to uh, commit a crime against the Roman government. Government. They would typically be naked, obviously for modesty reasons, the artwork portraying Jesus on the cross and movies portraying him carrying the cross up to Golgotha has him clothed somewhat, but typically, historically, they would have been naked as part of the humiliation of this parade. And Jesus, uh, under this excruciating agony of already receiving the whipping, becomes weakened because of that. So what do they do? The Romans seize this one innocent bystander from the crowd. You, you got you, Simon, from the region of Cyrene in Libya, you're going to carry this crossbeam. And he carries it behind Jesus. So Jesus is in front of him. I remember as a kid being in a church service, and we had a visiting missionary in the church where I was growing up. And somebody asked this question. I'll just never forget it. Couldn't tell you the missionary's name, couldn't tell you where he had been, couldn't tell you anything else about him. But I'll never forget this one question that was asked. It was just kind of a hypothetical question. He was asked, if you could be one person in all of the Bible, who would it be? And he said, Simon. And people looked around, oh, Simon Peter. Oh, yeah, that's kind of, yeah, that would be kind of one of my choices. And, And I remember him saying, no, 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 not Simon Peter. Simon of Cyrene. Because if there's any one thing I would love to have been able to do, was to have carried the cross for my Lord, who died for my sins. And I just remember as a kid thinking about that vision of carrying the cross for Jesus, who dies for our sins. And for that reason, I've just never forgotten this story here because of that, that man's uh, testimony in that regard. So he carries this cross. Verse 27 says, A large number of people followed him, including women, who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Now, normally they would always be commending women who could have children. Jesus says, you know, you're going to come to the day when you're going to be praising the women who aren't pregnant and who don't have little children to care for because he says there's going to be a time of judgment that comes. And he adds on, he says, then they will say to the mountain, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Now, some of your Bibles, if you have a footnote, that part where Jesus quotes, they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. Some of your footnotes say Hosea 10 verse 8. And that is a quote from Hosea 10.8, but he's not looking back. See, Hosea is an ancient prophet. He's not looking back. He's looking forward. Jesus is. And this same passage is quoted in Revelation chapter 6, and I'll just read it. You don't need to turn. Revelation 6, verses 15 and 16, having to do with the tribulation period. Revelation 6, 15 says, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? 
In other words, Revelation says there will come a day when people will cry for death as a better alternative than the punishment that they are receiving because of the wrath of God that is poured out upon a God-forsaking, Christ-rejecting world. Jesus is saying, don't weep for me. You better weep for yourselves because judgment is coming if you don't believe in who I am. That's the greater heartbreak than this moment. And then it says in verse 32, back here in our story, two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, and it's called that because there's an outcropping in the rocks that actually looks like a skull. That's why it's also called Calvary, because the Latin Calvary loco means place of the skull, and the Greek word is cranion. We get our English word cranium. So it looks like a skull. That's why they called it that. And there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Matthew tells us that that was a fulfillment of the prophecy of Psalm 22, verse 18. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. Notice these words. Circle the word sneered. They sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. Circle that word. They mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults, circle that word, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. So here he's crucified between these two thieves. The combination of the people and the soldiers, they're sneering at him, they're mocking, they're insulting him. I mean, Jesus exercises incredible restraint How long would you last if you have a bunch of people coming up to you, mocking you, sneering you, and insulting you? Before you at least respond, how long would you last? Not even a minute, right? Am I only preaching to myself? Anyhow, (laughs) incredible restraint here that Jesus exercises not to return insult for insult. And then, because this one thief here on one side of him makes his profession... Is it as beautiful here? Jesus promises him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Sometimes I think we overcomplicate the gospel. This is a beautiful promise that this guy will be with him because of his simple, childlike faith. Well, it says it was now about the sixth hour, that's 12 noon, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m. For the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. 
Now, it, don't miss that part about the temple, the curtain of the temple there. Verse 45 was torn in two. Remember, in the interior of the temple, there was this curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, the interior part of the temple, from the holy place of the temple. And only once a year, the high priest could go behind that curtain into the holy of holy place to offer the blood for the atonement of the sins of the people. It was called Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. It's still called Yom Kippur on the calendar for the Jews, but today they can't do what they used to do in the day when the Ark of the Covenant was there and the blood of the sacrifice. And at the moment of Jesus' crucifixion, the Bible says that that curtain was torn. God tore it. God ripped it because he wanted everybody to know, no longer do you have to go through a priest to get to me. My son Jesus is the high priest who died for your sins, and he made the way possible for you to have direct access to the Father. And that's the beauty of what Christ has done. We can go directly to God through Jesus Christ. The curtain is now torn. No separation between God and man because Christ Jesus himself, the God-man, bridged the gap for all eternity. Can I hear an amen? amen. And that's what he did. So this is what God does by tearing this, tent, this curtain in the temple to declare that there's now access to the Father through Jesus Christ. And it says here in verse 47 that the centurion, seeing what happened, this is a Roman soldier, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph. This is, this is Joseph of Arimathea a member of the council, that's the Sanhedrin. Remember the group that condemned Jesus to death and then they took him to Pontius Pilate? He's a part of that group, but notice what it says about him. He was a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. So Joseph of Arimathea was a dissenting vote. When they voted, let's get Jesus killed, Joseph of Arimathea dissented. He did not agree to the action. And notice, he came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. This guy's a believer. And going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Okay, now this is where it gets a, a little, you know discussion about uh you know what day did jesus die and and how do you count the three days to get him you know in the grave three days because it's only separated by a sabbath it's interesting when you compare all the gospels in john's gospel chapter 19 verse 31 it says it was a special sabbath this day that's the term that john uses a special sabbath it is possible sometimes and it is likely that it happened this year where there are two sabbaths back to back how's that possible well, the regular Sabbath is always sundown Friday until sundown Saturday on the, on the Jewish schedule. But the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread was also a Sabbath. In other words, you had to treat it just like you would a regular Sabbath. And there would be occasions when the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was also a special Sabbath day, would come the day before the regular Sabbath. That's likely what happened here. 
Because as Joseph of Arimathea gets the body of Jesus into the tomb before sundown, which was customary still today in Israel, that a Jew has to get to be buried before sundown, the women follow to see where he's laid, but they can't, if you will, embalm his body because now it's sundown and they have to go home and they have to rest. So it is likely, again, you know, and if you've been here long enough, you've heard me tell you why and use different scriptural reasons, and I'm not going to build the whole argument tonight, but only to say that it is likely, again, that Jesus was actually crucified on a Thursday, not on a Friday, like tradition says. Thursday, and then you have Friday, which is the special Sabbath, and then you have Saturday, which is the regular Sabbath, until then Sunday, they can actually go back to embalm his body. That's what happens. That's how it's three days. You know, I know tradition says that Jesus was crucified on a Friday afternoon. Really super hard to get three days and three nights from Friday to Sunday morning, okay? So you can believe that if you want. The bottom line is, I always say this at the end of, the, of trying to do all the math. Let's agree on this much. Jesus was crucified and he rose again, right? And so that's what's happening now when, when they come, verse chapter 24, verse 1, on the first day of the week. Now that is Sunday, very early in the morning, Matthew 28, 1 says it was at dawn, so the sun is just now rising on the horizon. The women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. These are angels. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, because now it's minus Judas, okay, So the 12 minus Judas to the 11 and to all the others, because there are other followers, not just the apostles. There are are women, there are other disciples here. When you get to the book of Acts, there's 120 in an upper room. So there's, there's several here. Verse 10 says it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Okay, now, you have to remember again that in this day, a woman's word was not even admissible in a court of law. No offense to the ladies in the house tonight. I'm just telling you the way it used to be. So a woman's word was unreliable in the day. Now, I don't know if that's the reason per se that they're not believing these women because I'd like to believe that they had more respect for the ladies given the fact that they had traveled with Jesus for three and a half years and kind of understood the importance of women as well as men, that there's no greater or less than. But there might have been some of that culturally going on. Like, oh, you know, you can't believe these ladies, you know. But at the same time, it also tells us that they were, that the part of this was just their own disbelief, their, their own shock, Okay, verse 12 says, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. These guys, they're, they're not completely clued in here. wonder what's happened here. I see a bunch of linen strips, but I wonder what they did with Jesus' body. Hello, Peter. 
Well, have you been listening for the last three and a half years? It's easy for us to say because we have the whole story here. I probably would have been just like it. What do you think happened, Pete? I don't know, Gary. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection and that we were able to dig into the Gospel of Luke together. Did you know you could download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you anywhere you take your phone? That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you can also learn about the church behind this ministry. We'd love to meet you at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We're meeting weekly in person and online, so please join us for worship and Bible study. You can find all the information you need to connect and get service times at our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We pray you've been blessed by this teaching today on the life of Jesus. Know that we're praying for you too. Is there anything specific we could lift up to the Lord? Let us know by emailing prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's all we have time for today, but join us next time to continue studying Luke right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know.